Hey there, world. Welcome to Sinister Soup, the podcast where we explore genre fiction through the lens of film, literature, and ridiculous conversation. I am one of your two co-hosts, Claver Mullum. And I am the second co-host, and still the little brother, Travis Mullum. That's right. Don't you forget it. Don't you forget it, listeners. Bottom screen for life. That boy over there. Bottom screen team. (laughs) All right, so this week on Sinister Soup, we are going to do our regular segments. Uh, The first segment we do every week is called Bring Some Culture. Uh, This is just something that we observed out in the world that we think is a great contribution to human culture and human society in general. It may be people writing. It may be film a film that was created for a cool reason or in a cool way. Uh, it may be an awesome marketing campaign that's doing some good for the world or just doing some good for the, for the creative world by showing ways that creatives can be successful in unique fashions. Um, or it might be about like a company that builds houses from plastic. Um, so this week, what did you bring for us, Travis? Well, Clay, this week I have brought yet another uh, artistically based one. Uh, you know my very strong hatred for uh, stadium country, correct? Oh, correct. As people who came from rural Montana, we know just how, how terrible country music can get. Yes, we do. And for all of those who want to listen to country music but do not want to listen to that country music, boy, do I have something for you for Brinson Culture this time. Uh, There's a YouTube channel called Western AF. Um, It is a... They're kind of independent music video filmmakers, audio recorders, interviewers, um, just trying to go around the United States and give some light to some real old-fashioned folk and country artists. Uh, there's a lot of a lot of people on there, some amazing men and women that I've downloaded almost all of them on Spotify. I haven't listened to hardly a video yet on Western AF that hasn't been just pure gold country music. Um, some of my new favorite artists I garnered from that channel. So if you are a big fan of... Um, old-fashioned folk and country music with a heavy emphasis on lyrics, old steel guitar, banjo. Um, yeah, I would, I would recommend Western AF on YouTube. Yeah, and uh, hearing you describe it before, it's kind of an all-inclusive tour of the musicians kind of world too, right? You get to see a lot of behind-the-curtain type stuff at Western AF when they work with yeah, artists. They do, uh, yeah, they do um, like short videos where they interview the artist before they play their scene their song they've done a few music videos for people uh they've done some live stream events during the pandemic where it was just two country artists playing on their zoom which like it wasn't the best audio quality but it was cool to just be invited in their homes for a little bit you know sure yeah cool that sounds awesome uh gets us to some uh niche artists that may not be as out in the light as your stadium country, pop country stars. Um, 
and that storytelling type music i mean i always have loved that brand of country music the brand that came from around the campfire and from the cattle drive across the country you know mm-hmm. um or you know from the irish rovers coming over on the ships and living and working and moving all over the united states when the country was yeah. young you know mm-hmm. um so yeah go check out western af it sounds pretty awesome it is and what uh, what do you got for us this week for culture, Clay? Mine's a little closer to home. Um, generally, on this podcast, we're looking for new cultural things, but this one has been on my mind a lot over the last week and the last couple weeks, really, um, because I'm going to be heading down to join these guys climbing in Bishop, California. Um, so I want to give a shout out to my boys at Badwater Bouldering. Um, they are bringing some really unique contributions to the rock climbing culture out here, uh, which is aside from like geek culture and <laughs> book and movie culture, that's probably the most connected I am to a culture. Um, yeah, they're developing a new area up at, by a place called Smithbrook in Stevens Pass, and. Oh, right. Yeah, it's going to be very, very awesome. Um, I've written an article about it for a blog I was working on a while back. And yeah, they they started out rock climbing and making rock climbing videos a few years ago. And now they've gotten to the point where they're like basically professional level uh, boulderers. Um, but they're also film students. So they make these awesome rock climbing videos. They're developing new climbs and new areas for people to enjoy. And they have done a massive contribution to like directions and beta and all kinds of things that help people access the boulders of Washington State. I mean, if you, there's an app called Mountain Project that helps people find climbs. And if you read the Mountain Project like bouldering pages, almost every boulder on there has a comment from like Kyle Love that's just helpful advice or good beta like yeah you know i actually used that ledge at the top and it helped a lot with the heel hook you know you should try that if you're struggling with that part or whatever Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know just very actively involved in the community and working to make it better and no matter what community you in uh, that you're in people like that deserve to be recognized for their contributions so i want to give a shout out to badwater bouldering all right so we have brought some culture we, we got culture all up in here. We've put it up in your dome piece. Now it's time to put some more movie analytics up in your dome piece. We're going we're gonna to head over to Travis. So um, on this segment, we are going to pick a movie or book every week and add a little bit of twist to a friendly debate on it. We've been debating movies and books since we were just wee little children, so we are going to bring that to this show. But the kicker is, we are going to select a movie or book, roll a d20, and whoever has the highest roll is going to have to defend this movie or book, and whoever has the lowest roll is going to have to attack this movie or book regardless of what we actually think about them, which you will hear about after we finish debating. And last week, I called you out because you said you would debate any movie but Scooby-Doo because you don't think 
that you can tear it down. So we're going to find out. Yes, this is true. I don't want to tear down Scooby-Doo. Or maybe I do. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) All right, we're going to roll. Oh, All right, here we go. also, we have a 10-minute timer because this is going to get really ranty. So, so don't worry. Uh, this won't carry you into the wee hours, you know, unless you want to start commenting and make it do that. That that power is up to you. Indeed. All right, rolling. I got a four. Ten. Yeah. Yep, 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 yep. Yep, 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 okay. yep. All right, so... I guess I'll start, right? Usually the de- starting then starts timer, starting timer now. Defense, it's in your court. All right. Um, I mean, not too tough, you know, not too tough to defend this movie, uh, especially if you're a '90s kid, you know. So you came up uh, watching Scooby Doo on Boomerang, and then boom, you're uh, you're a young adult, and they got Harry Potter for you, and then boom, they got Scooby Doo. You know, we also we didn't know a whole lot about CGI yet or anything, so it was like, you know what? They're giving it a shot. This is a good time. Uh, you had all your classic Scooby-Doo antics. You know, you start out with the classic plan that that goes to hell, uh, and then Shaggy and Scooby have to rescue it. You know, with the help of their pals. It, it always comes down to the to the meddling dog at the end of the day. Um, and then two of the best performances uh, that I've ever seen from any performers in cinema history. I said it. I said it, and I meant it. <laughs> I'm talking about. I'm talking about first Matthew uh, Matthew Lillard and Shaggy. Yeah. I mean, okay. Beautiful, beautiful, right? Absolutely stellar performance, right out of out of the out of the Cartoon Network. And right into real life. Um, couldn't have played it better. And nobody could have played that better. Nobody. Absolutely nobody. Matthew Lillard was born to play Shaggy. And Shaggy, I would argue, was created, you know, because time <laughs> is not linear. Shaggy was created so that Matthew Lillard could play him. And so that we could enjoy his performance so much that we're talking about our podcast right now. And the second best performance in cinema history was Sugar Ray. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, no. No, 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 no. <laughs> That's all I have to um, say about that. I don't think I need to even, uh, yeah. Okay, well, is it is is the ball in my court now? Um, because how dare you? <laughs> yeah, the proverbial ball how, is in your court. How dare you insult Sir... No, he hasn't been knighted, but I'm going to call him <laughs> Sir Casey Kasem, the original voice of Scooby-Doo that we grew up on, Boomerang watching. Matthew Lillard did a great job, you know? I, I can't insult that man. I don't care if I'm fighting against this movie or not. I can't insult Matthew Lillard. He was he was in Scream. He was in Scooby-Doo. I love the man. He does a lot of D&D stuff. But he's not Casey Kasem. He's not. Nobody is. <laughs> Matthew Lillard, Matthew Lillard even says he's not Casey Kasem. He's not better than Casey Kasem. Now we're going to go to the first insult. Um, let's talk about how Fred and Daphne, played by Freddie Prince Jr. and Sarah Michelle Gellar, uh, didn't even have to act. They just they just are those two. 
and have never been anything but. So uh, the laziness of casting, of just basically actually casting Fred Rogers and, <laughs> and Daphne as Fred and Daphne in real, like the real life representations of them. Um, and that is about how shallow their acting is. It's awful. Um, and then for some reason you throw Rowan Atkinson in there as, spoiler alert, as the villain. Which, okay, now let's talk about how bad the villain was. <laughs> Scrappy-Doo. Scrappy-Doo is the worst part of the Scooby-Doo cartoons. Definitively. Every Scrappy-Doo episode you watched as a kid, you turned the TV off or you tried to find reruns of Dragon Ball Z because no one's got time for that. <laughs> and, and they're like, yeah, let's make him the main villain. Let's just make him the big baddie for, for no reason whatsoever. It was a twist. Uh, yeah sure and then <laughs> on top of that you have the terrible cgi i mean this stuff makes like yeah. i i want to think of a example but nothing even comes close like i would rather watch <laughs> transformers and you know that's saying a mm -hmm. lot round the clock 24 7 then watch that cgi again just atrocious um oh man come on bud that's a bit of hyperbole don't you think <laughs> don't you think that's a little extreme there bud i think we'll, we'll talk about hyperbole when this is all over and sugar ray <laughs> you know what sugar ray's best album is their greatest hits and that's not good that just means that the best album they ever made was picking 10 songs from their other albums <laughs> That sucks. <laughs> <laughs> and putting them into one album. Okay. I mean, uh, and the main singer looks like like Frosted Tips galore. He looks like uh, that cook guy. Uh, guy Fieri. Traveled around. The... Yeah, Guy What's Fieri. What's wrong with Guy Fieri? He never did nothing wrong. <laughs> uh, his haircut. His haircut is what he did wrong. <laughs> and he... Owes the world an apology for it. All right, look. All right, first, I want to comment on that. I want to comment on that. Sugar Ray and Matthew Lillard in the same note here. Um, I said the best performance in cinematic history. Um, okay, dance around there. You no, but here's the thing. You said that Shaggy, the role of Shaggy that's Rogers, animatic. I, that's I, animatic. You said the role was created <laughs> for him to play and that, that that's just an insult to casey Kasem. okay casey Kasem. okay that's that's our boy <laughs> yeah but look like you know what here's proof right here if we had to act on this podcast you know it would it would be a lot harder than if we were just voice recording it no, I know. I don't. I don't know if you believe that in your heart of hearts. <laughs> I don't. Because <laughs> I, I know you've done voice yeah, work. Yeah, <laughs> I absolutely don't believe that. For the record, I I just had to throw it out there. Okay. Okay. I feel like they can stand apart, but I mean, I I think the role of Shaggy was designed and made for Casey for Matthew Jason. Lillard. And <laughs> Matthew Lillard did a good job at adapting it. Um, that'd be like saying that. Uh, I mean, that'd be like saying that Ray Park, who plays Darth Maul in The Clone Wars, like, that'd be like saying his role was actually designed and made 
not for him, but for the voice actor who plays Maul to perfection in the show. But he's not, you know, he's not Ray Park. Like Ray Park was the guy. Okay. Okay. Can (laughs) we at least agree on this? Can we at least agree on this? Would you agree that Matthew Lillard in looks, in personality, um, in his acting chops, pretty much in every way, is the perfect person to cast as Shaggy just as he is? Oh, yeah. I'll agree So why isn't it okay for Daphne and Fred? (laughs) (laughs) Because they're not good actors. They don't have to be. Matthew Lillard. Matthew Lillard actually is outside of his comfort zone with the voice a little bit and with like how he did his mannerisms. Sure, he looks like Shaggy a little, but like the way he moves is different. Like, but Fred is just Fred. Freddie Prince Jr., they even have the same damn name. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, Daphne doesn't have that name. No, I mean, but they are a couple in real life. Like, they didn't even try and find like two people who could pretend chemistry. They were just like, Here's these two people that are exactly like our characters and already dating. Let's hire them. Why not? Yeah, why not? They're a power couple. That's what power couples are for, bro. Uh, look, are we gonna pretend right now that like Daphne's character arc wasn't you un- wasn't something new and cool that they brought to Scooby Doo? You know, that that was a new uh, source of comedy for that like the tired old bits of that show. I, that was one of my favorite parts of the show. Daphne was making her like a karate expert. No, not the karate thing. I said her arc. <laughs> I, I her... no, definitely the karate thing. That's, that's not what I liked. What I liked was that she had a mission to not get captured anymore, and that was awesome. Yeah, that fails <laughs> throughout the whole movie. Well, she's still Daphne. You know, she's still she doesn't. Yeah. You don't get to succeed in your arc till the end of the story. I think okay, my. I also have an issue with the over-adulting. The, that's not a word. But the over, like... Is that not technically a word yet? I don't know, bro. I don't know. But sure. they definitely made it too adult. There's literally scenes they had to cut from the movie. Like, I remember... If you remember the original DVD version, you're watching a different version than people are now online. Because they had to cut, like, the scenes with, like, Daphne checking herself out. Right, yeah. Oh, I noticed that. I noticed that. That's... That's super the weird. Beer of the week. Beer of the week. Oh, beer of the week. Beer of the we week. go drink some beer. Beer of the week. We in this segment are going to drink beer and talk about what we actually think about the movie, and probably finish discussing what we just ended on. No, right no, we have, so to, what we have to cut that off. That's the whole point of of the ridiculous transition. Very fair. True. Okay. But we're also what? Um, sorry to interrupt you. We are also drinking beers that we've never had. Uh, that's part yes. of beer of the week. We find a new beer every week. If that wasn't clear, Travis, what beer are you drinking? I'm drinking a beer from um, a brewing company called Sly Fox. That is not far from me in uh, Pottstown, Pennsylvania, where uh, a friend of mine is actually from. It is a grisette, which apparently is a, a light Belgian wheat mm, ale. I do like those. Never had one before. It has one of the coolest um, labels 
I've ever seen. It's like this kind of French style painting of a girl on a bike with roses, and it's really cool, but I don't know how it'll taste. Okay, cool. I'm drinking uh, from classic uh, Elysian. If you've ever been to the Seattle area, Elysian's a really big brewery out here. They have lots of yep, good yep, beer. Yep. Um, I'm not sure about this one. It was actually a sample at the beer store that I work at. Um, so I got it for free. And it is a tart IPA. I am in a quest, on a quest, on a quest, to find an IPA that doesn't quest. taste like gargling aspirin. Um, so far, we're 0 for 0. 0 for 1. 0 for 1. <laughs> so we're trying to we're trying to fix it. It's called Altered Contact. Let's see if Tart IPA right. is less aspirin-y. Oh. It is. This is actually substantially less aspirin-y. Yeah. Really? In a good way? Yeah, I think so. It's hey. interesting because it's like it's still got that flavor of hops. But, you know, it doesn't have that, like, bitter, like, pixies are tap dancing on my tongue. Mm, mm-hmm, and they haven't mm-hmm. washed their feet for a while. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Doesn't have the hippie, take a straw to hippie bathwater, as right. I would say. Well, this is a Belgian white, so it tastes, I feel like, okay, I might be wrong on this. I feel like Belgians taste like the most stereotypical beer. Like, like when I think of the beer taste like standard beer taste I think of a belgian white is that wrong am i way off there i don't know that's subjective but that's to true. me that's not what i think of i think of like bud light yeah that's what i'm saying though like i feel like belgians kind of taste like a high end like a good kind of bud light but they have that like beer flavor yeah they're like a they're as light as like a cheap lager for sure but they're you know spiced up and mm-hmm. stuff they usually have like some nice spice and and citrus flavors interlaced in there. It's good. I mean, it has a decent aftertaste. I'm just not a I'm not a light beer. Guy. No, we're opposites that way. I know you like your stouts. I can't do a lot of stouts because they always have like chocolate and peanut butter in them. Not always. Yeah, they're very sweet. But yeah, I like my stouts and porters. This is good though. It has a it has a good finish. It's very light, citrusy, mm-hmm. like you say. And that, that is the extent of the adjectives I will use, or else I'll just start sounding like <laughs> Nice. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, before we start to be dicks, let's move on to talking about how we really feel about Scooby-Doo. All right. Um, well, shall, shall I start since I was the attacker? Sure. Yeah, that's how it should go. Defense goes first on this segment. I, mm-hmm. I love Scooby-Doo. I think it's a delight. Um... I, I don't know. I think that I agree with everything you said about Matthew Lillard, except I really do think Casey Kasem, like those two are just same level for me. I mean, Casey, it's like it's like Christian Bale's Batman and Kevin Conroy. Like Kevin Conroy always has a special place in my heart. Voice of Batman, grew up with him. But Christian Bale is like when I was an adult, and Batman was like made into movies and really good mm-hmm. ones. It's the same thing. Matthew Lillard is my live-action Shaggy. He should have never been replaced in the new animated movie. But Casey Kasem is will always hold a special place. In my I heart. agree with that. I just was being uh, adversarial. 
Um, the one point I made that was a blatant lie, I think Freddie Prince and Sarah Michelle Gellar were perfectly they, cast. Yeah, they, they were. were. Awesome. I mean, <laughs> they were great. Because they are shallow characters, Fred and Daphne. They are, yeah. And they were given a little more depth in that movie, but not enough to make it, like, too much. Yeah, yeah. Not enough to, like, turn off, I think, some of the people. Well, I... Okay, so yeah. you don't feel like you lied about the over-adulting it thing either? Because I think it's still pretty the childish. The over-adulting it thing, yeah, no, okay, I did. I, um, it is interesting, though, like, when you think of the original version, I think now it's perfect. Like, now the versions everyone is watching now are perfect, but there mm, is two scenes they, they cut. cut that I remember on the DVD that were, like, there's the they cut the scene where they all switch bodies, and Fred is like checking himself out as Daphne. And then they cut the scene where Velma gets like possessed and is like table dancing. That's true. <laughs> In a bikini. <laughs> I was like, okay, this is a lot. That's true. I think those are both wise cuts to, yes, to, to appeal to a broader yeah, audience. Two completely unnecessary things. Like you have. Daphne still says, I can look at myself naked. That's plenty. Mm -hmm. You know, we mm -hmm. don't need to see him doing it. We're like, yeah, we got it. Mm -hmm. You're a pretty lady. Yeah, but, and the, I think the cutting the, the Velma possessed was a very wise choice. Um, dancing on the table, at least. I mean, I think she, there's still scenes in which she's like inhabited by the monster, a couple of them, but. Yes. Yeah. I ultimately think it's it's still it's entertaining. It did what it was supposed to do. It brought that kind of whimsical. It took what I really appreciated about it was it kind of turned the whimsy of the cartoon. It didn't like just try and directly do that. It turned it into like this 90s sort of goofiness. Yeah. And it still fit. I agree. It was fun. Good movie. It was easy to defend. That CGI is just awful. Well. Oh, yeah. But... <laughs> there's, there's nothing else to be said about that. I, I didn't go into it expecting good CGI. <laughs> no. I definitely, but watching it now, I'm like, oh, this was, I did not know, notice how bad. They were trying. In the Oof. day. Oh, boy. <laughs> they were but the most late 90s, early 2000s movie probably ever made. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. I think you said before, like, put that movie in a time capsule that just says, understanding the 2000s. <laughs> <laughs> Under understanding the early 2000s. This is, this is your guide. This is what you needed to know. Early. Oh, and we didn't, we didn't talk about the best part that... Shaggy gets a girlfriend, and what is what is her name oh, again, Clay? We all know what her name is. Her name is Mary Jane. Mary Jane. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they didn't even try to be like, no, Shaggy's not a stoner. He's just a hippie. No, they were like, yeah, your girlfriend's name is Mary Jane. Well, yeah, and he says it's his favorite name. And then when they roll up to this the mystery machine, <laughs> like, yeah, they're grilling in there, but like... Let's be real. We yeah, we know were, what they, they were, were alluding to. They when were they're like, "This is pre." They were doing something. 
Nobody says that about a, a vegan burger. Nobody, nobody says that. This is primo no, is reserved no. for weed. So great. I do love how they just leaned in all the, yeah. all the things we knew as as teens anyway. Like they just were like, yeah, mm-hmm. let's lean into it. Without ever outright saying it, just like the original uh, Hannah Barbara did. Well, I think that uh, that's about what we got for a podcast this week. Uh, what are we What are we doing next week? Yeah, so next week we are going to be debating the Only Good Indians, a best selling novel by Stephen Graham Jones. He's one of my favorite horror authors. Um, that's still publishing a lot of stuff today. He's been in a lot of like best horror of the year anthologies and he's written a few short story collections. He's written a few novels. I was only recently introduced to him because uh, I like to listen to Ellen Datlow's collections on audiobook and Stephen Graham Jones appears in so many of them. So I was like, okay, I like all these guys, all this guy's short stories. I'm going to read the book. Um, and I've discovered him now. Stephen Graham Jones is awesome. And we're going to debate that book next week, The Only Good Indians. I'm reading it for the first time, so um, it'll be yeah. very fresh in my mind. And then, um, on top of that, some new updates on the podcast. It's a bit long with the actor polls tagged on to the end. So we are going to split those into a separate episode. So that'll be kind of like a separate segment that we do once a week. Um, And we're going to edit that together with audio versions of my cryptid tidbits, which are on my blog at clavermullenfiction.com. So if you like your horror content in audio form, you can just tune into this podcast once a week, get some fun actor poll entertainment, and listen to a cryptid tidbit. So yeah. That'll be it for this week. Uh, Thank you for tuning in to Sinister Soup. We'll see you next week.